Welcome back to the Nichols College Esports Podcast, Episode 4, and today we have a special interview episode with Nick DeAngelis. Nick is a professional tennis coach and a certified sports psychology coach. Currently, he is coaching Rocket League for Flow State Gaming, creating YouTube content, and providing psychological insight for both traditional sports and esports. Nick, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, no problem. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got into esports initially? Um, so, so gaming as a whole started uh, around middle school age. Uh, I did play RuneScape. That was probably the first game that I ever played. Some gamers might know that one. Um, but the first competitive game I played was something called Legions. Uh, it was a spinoff of a game called Tribes, which are both pretty small games. Um, not many people may have heard of them, but I was one of the better players uh, in the game. Uh, it was a small community, and there was a lot of competition. It was kind of a capture-the-flag-based game with uh, low-friction jet pads and jets and all that stuff where you can fly around and um, gain a lot of speed on a, on a hilly terrain, grab the flag, and kill people that had the flag. Um, and that was my my main game, and from there I started branching out into League of Legends, played some Overwatch, Apex. Uh, my main game currently is Rocket League, and I play a lot of Counter Strike as well. Cool, cool. Um, so we just wanted to get a little bit into your aspect with Flow State. Like, mm -hmm. what what is Flow State? I saw what the actual definition was, but I'm gonna let you sort of explain that a little bit. Right. So, so flow state's a, a psychological term for essentially being in the zone. Um, that idea where you are totally, totally engaged in an activity um, feels like time starts to slow down. Um, you are so focused on on what you're doing that it it just feels right. Like when you're writing a paper and you just kind of get into that that flow and you just start start writing and then you realize like 30 minutes has passed and you you finished uh, the the whole thing. Or or in sporting terms, um, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, they've talked about it a lot. How um, the the crowd kind of vanishes. Um, everything feels like it's in slow motion. Each moment just kind of flows from one to the other. Um, and yeah, essentially that's that's the idea there and kind of built a community around that concept. Have you ever personally actually been in that state before? Yeah, so so we all we've all been there. Um, the the goal from a sports psychology perspective, is to kind of maximize the time spent in it and start to recognize um, how it feels when we get there. Uh, we really are at our optimal performance levels when we're when we're in that um, state, and so we wanna we wanna understand it more from a personal level and start to realize um, how we can really click it click it on and off. Um, it's kind of complicated. You, you almost can't affect how long you're in the state, but what you can affect is recognizing when you've lost it and um, like resetting and getting back into it, essentially. That's very interesting, <laughs> honestly. That, I mean, I, I, we are all ex-baseball players here. Like, I'm, I'm pretty certain I, I can say for myself that I have been in that, and it's been one of the weirdest things that I've ever experienced like you don't know what to do like 
you just want to keep it the same. Like you want to keep that same. Ed- I I almost just call it like the edge. Um, for my terms. Um, and having that edge and just being in that state. Um, you just don't want to mess that up. Like I I always thought about it when I was in it. I'm like, don't mess it up. And sometimes I did feel like it actually did mess me up by thinking about that fact. I feel like whenever I was on the mound, um, I would just black out whenever I'd walk out there and just be like, have like that killer mentality. I mean, I guess that's just how like when I was playing baseball, that's how I kind of like grew into it. I had like a, like with my AAU program, I, there was always like talked about like competing. I hate to bring up that word competing, but that, that ultimately that's what it is. And especially in like a traditional sports and esports, it's all about competing basically. Right. Um, no, it's, it's funny that you say that, that when you start to think about not losing it is when you start to lose it. One of the main pillars of, of uh, flow state is essentially being completely engaged in only the present moment, uh, not future, not past. Um, and as soon as you start to think, oh, I'm in flow state, like, or I, I want to hold on to flow state, we're kind of uh, s- detracting ourselves from that moment, from what we are at, and just kind of starting to label it and um we we start to get this meta um cognition awareness that's that's not really what we need we have to be completely engaged in currently what we're what we're saying and and with flow state it's to my understanding that you have a youtube channel correct right so what exactly do you do on that youtube channel um so essentially the the start i started it very recently um it is all sports psychology topics in video games um, essentially how to improve performance in the game uh, based on sports psychology. Uh, topics like the first video was how to deal with off days, you know, those days where you're feeling like you're just not playing well. Um, the next, uh, we only have three videos out so far. They take a lot of work. The next one was a, an ideal kind of practice format, how to structure a practice to, to kind of optimal, optimal learning. Um, and the most recent is about how to deal with bad teammates or toxic teammates, which is a really big one. <laughs> We've all sure. had those before. Yeah, a Definitely. lot of gamers know that. Um, but yeah, a lot of it comes from the, the sports psychology perspective, that flow state um, ideology. Um, the, uh, a lot of flow state actually, or, or the training of flow state, how to train yourself to, to get into that state. Um, a lot of it comes from mindfulness meditation um, and principles from that. So I'm a big proponent of that. I do it myself. Um, I've done it with teams before. Um, it's, it's a really good way to train the, the type of awareness that you need um, and the muscle, if you will, that is required to um, like I said, just kind of bring your, bring yourself back to flow state. Like I said, it's not about holding in flow state. It's about being able to bring back once you've lost it very quickly. Um, so yeah, that's essentially, um, do you, do you think that that aspect is probably the most important when it comes to flow state or is there something else that's more essential? Um, so, so there's, there's a couple pillars, um, a couple main pillars, flow state, again, being, um, completely, um, engaged in the present moment. So that's, that's the big one. Um, the next one is, um, non-judgmental, 
um, awareness. Uh, like I said, no self-talk. There's no like, oh, I'm doing a great job in, in flow state. And in fact, telling yourself that you're doing a great job is not productive in that regard because it takes you out of doing the great job. If you're doing a great job, you just continue doing the great job. As soon as you label it as, as good or bad, then you've um, stepped away from it. Um, and uh, mindfulness meditation, I think, is one of the most important parts of getting there. Uh, I don't think it's the most important part of competing as a whole. I think there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, but I, th I think it's one of, the, one of the parts I latch onto a lot because it's not something that's often discussed. I, I Just one last point. I think that's probably one of the most interesting things that I've ever heard is for baseball, personally, a lot of my coaches have always said, you know, keeping a positive mindset and saying like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this well. Um, I'm doing this the best I can. Like always just a positive mindset, talking about doing the best, doing good. Like, and you um, with flow state like that is almost against the quota and not exactly what you're looking for because you don't want to be so mindful if I'm understanding it right about like saying that you're doing it good and talking yourself into that I don't know if I'm understanding that right no yeah you, you are to an extent of course I think positivity is important um, you can definitely have that when we're in the moment though we we again we want to be engaged in the moment only in the moment uh, the the way I like to phrase what your mindset should be like is actually inquisitive. So not negative, not positive, just inquisitive. Uh, like, how am I feeling? Um, how, how can I, let's say in, in baseball terms, all right, a lefty stepping up to a plate. Um, what, what's, what's my goal here? Um, and how can I achieve that goal? And that's it. Um, not am I am I I guess am I throwing well is is a question but it, it's not necessarily a productive question in that regard I feel like in regards to like the thought that you're like so the way I feel like uh, the way I'm viewing this is that in flow state you kind of have like that that mindset that you're playing well but you don't want to think that you're playing well and you almost don't like want to stop mm -hmm. so like the way that I, I think about it is like, for example, like when you're playing Rocket League and you have a string of a few good matches and you just want to keep playing because you know that you're playing well. Is that kind of like what I'm... Right. Yeah. And uh, some of it honestly comes down to the idea that there's essentially no such thing as I'm playing well. Like, if you did something good, it doesn't mean you can't do something horribly awful five seconds from then. Uh, just because you're playing well doesn't mean you're immune to not playing well so so labeling that is really just not productive because you playing well currently has nothing to do with what's about to happen um so if, yeah, if that, that makes no, sense that, yeah that does yeah. make sense yeah <laughs> so it's, it's just like you scoring a goal and then off the next kickoff it somehow bounces off off your car and into the, your own net right exactly i mean sometimes that stuff may be uncontrollable but to an extent it is yeah as long as you're driving the car right so. Yeah, and and that's where being inquisitive is really good because it, it's not, oh, I did an awesome job scoring that goal. It's nice. What did I do to score that goal? How can I repeat it? Um, what did I take advantage of? Um, all that stuff. So 
how did you like initially get involved with like the Flow State Gaming? Like, were you approached to to join and do these uh, this YouTube content? So I I created Flow State. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So I I created it because I like the idea of Flow State. I I'm big into the the sports psychology um, side of things, and especially how it relates to esports. Um, Flow State is a you know, term. Obviously, I'm, I've been talking about it so much. I clearly know a lot about it. It's something I've 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 read plenty of um, books and and resources regarding. Um, so I figured it, it's kind of a cool name too. <laughs> so I started the community from that. Now, do you think that for like professional gamers, I guess professional esports players, do you think they have an inherent skill to like harness that flow state better than other players and that's what sets them apart or is it just just inherent skill regardless um i think it's kind of a muscle i personally don't believe in inherent skill being um a huge factor at a higher level Uh, there's a very cool book um, called peak and it essentially goes very into depth in uh, mastering skills and the author, you guys know the, the 10,000 hours concept? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers. The, the author helped create that. He was one of like the co-authors of that. Um, and in this book, he almost, um, there, in some ways, he goes against that idea. But in the other, um, he, he essentially says that having some level of natural skill is really only helpful at the very beginning stages of learning Um, a really cool analogy that one of my friends came up with actually was that if you are if if your task to let's say become a good uh, baseball player is essentially like uh, moving a million pounds of dirt with a shovel from one spot to another that's your task you and someone else who's who's trying to do this both have their own Uh, piles of dirt. This is really weird, but bear with me. Um, Essentially, having natural skill is, um, it's equal to maybe starting off with having already moved some of that dirt before the other person had. So let's say it's a million shovels worth of dirt. Um, That person's already done a hundred shovels worth. So they get a head start. Uh, But that head start in the long run, in the whole million shovels worth really has almost no impact and in this book the the proposition is that it it almost has a negative impact a lot of times some of the most talented players um, they don't develop the types of training um, habits and really the perseverance that those who had slightly less skill end up developing because they they weren't quite as challenged in the earlier parts of their journey so when they start to get challenged they don't know how to handle it and they start to break down or like um don't don't almost give up uh so it's a it's an interesting read definitely recommend it um i i guess like one thing that i can like the way i can relate that to like rocket league for instance is when um what's his name i'm blanking now scrub yeah. when scrub killer joined vitality initially they were just like an average team. And that was because Scrub was a a solo god. And he only knew how to play 1v1. 
And then now, as they started to progress, they've become one of the best teams in the world, and they they won uh, the world championship last year. So yeah, or last I season. I was there. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How in, was that in New Jersey? Oh, it was so cool. So I wanted cool. to go. Yeah. But like it, it, something like that is, they had to develop him as a three v three player instead of a one v one player. So that's kind of like how I I view that. He had the skill, obviously, to be. A, a Rocket League pro, but the way that you have to like almost build like a cohesive team is like initially was not there. Right. Um, I, a good way to think of it, I I don't want to get too sciency all the time, but uh, essentially, um, there's there's a guy named Weldon Green. He's a very popular esports coach for League of Legends teams. One of the best people. I've ever seen or, or heard of in the in the scene, uh, and he's a sports psychology coach as well. Um, he he really believes, and and I tend to agree that the only thing that you can naturally be good at is something that you could have been evolutionarily selected for. So things like running, things like swimming, these are things that have literal like genetic like codes in our DNA that some people were selected for and can have a, a very, very significant uh, impact on basketball is another one, like height and stuff like that. But um, things like moving a mouse in a certain direction at a certain speed has nothing to do with, like, we, we were not evolved to do that. So all of that is a trained, um, like, motor function. So natural ability has almost nothing to do with it because it's not a natural ability. Tennis is a great example. Ba uh, baseball is a great example. Uh, we, we didn't evolve to hit balls with bats uh, or, or hit balls with, with tennis rackets. Um, so that's, that's usually the best way I, I tend to think about it when I'm relating natural ability to, to high-level performance. All right. Um well, so with Flow State Gaming, you you're going and trying to make actually the certification factors for coaching, like uh, jumping off like the coaching factor that you were just talking about. Um, why do we need certification with coaching? Good question. So actually, Flow State I've separated a little bit. I have Pro E Coach is essentially the certification, and I've almost completely separated those to to different projects. Um, Pro E Coach is is the certification, I'll, and Flow State is just a total side project of like um, coaching Rocket League teams and sports psychology. But essentially, with the certification, um, the idea there is that a lot of the current esports coaches are essentially just good players. Um, and there's a big difference between a good player and a good coach. I'm sure we've all um, seen examples of that already. Um, but the, the skill sets needed are, are really important. Um, I've seen examples where some players, uh, tennis is one, uh, or some coaches have been so good at the game that they almost can't relate to other players um, because they've, they've played at such a high level for so long that, that they forgot how they grew to get there. And again, a lot of times when you're training, you're trying to train to, again, not have to think about what you're doing. That's the goal, right? 
Um, so, so a coach, a good coach is, is able to really like thoroughly analyze not just what they're doing, but how they're doing it and explain it. Uh, and I don't, I don't see that a lot in esports yet, even at the highest levels. Um, I, I could get into depth about uh, Monte Cristo. Um, I met with him, and, and he totally agrees that you know in Overwatch and League of Legends, uh, a lot of the coaches, you know, they're good players, but they, they don't know how to coach someone to um, success. So, so the goal of the certification program is to kind of standardize coaching knowledge and, and how do we instruct these people on on how to get better really efficiently and effectively um, and also uh, a big thing that's happening now is a lot of academic organizations are getting into esports academics love accreditation um, and with with the coaching certification we, we hope to have someone go through the process not only to learn the information but then to come out with a with a document you know, saying that uh, I've done this, I, I've, I, I have this knowledge, um, and schools can, um, it, it makes the hiring process for those schools a lot easier, because a lot of schools are trying to hire new coaches for the teams, but they don't just want to hire some kid who's like, oh, I'm, I'm 24, and I like kids, and I play video games, because it's, a <laughs> they need, they need a little more substantial, um, information than just that and there's really not much out there right now in ways of that what do you think like the hardest job of a coach in esports is <sighs> that's a that's a tough question um i think in esports especially uh the tough part is understanding the the mental and physical aspect of of the sport I'm going to call it a sport because uh, I think it is. Um, but the idea that there's there's a lot going on w within the body and the brain um, that, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm looking to get uh, to um, go for my master's in sport and exercise psychology. Um, and my, my thesis that I'm thinking of is the idea that because... Um, esports is so competitive, but not physical. The mental aspect has to almost overcompensate for the fact that there's uh, very little physical um, aspect. And so the, the, it's almost like there's a ton of stimulus, but there's no release. Um, so understanding that players are going through a lot like that is, is really difficult. And then generally, I, I think with esports, it's just understanding how to coach. Um, like not just how to um, explain a mechanic, but how to, how to get someone to effectively learn a mechanic. Um, I think another big one might be understanding that um, a lot of gamers, and I know this because myself included, uh, are a bit of loners sometimes, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I think we're, we're very individual people. Uh, we tend to be that way, and you know, we're sitting behind a uh, screen a lot of the time. So I think interaction, personal interaction is something that's, um, needs to be fostered and, and just cared for in a, in a different way than it would be on say like uh, a baseball team or something like that. Right. We actually spoke about that in our first podcast, about the whole mental aspect of, of gaming and esports as a whole and how I like the example I gave when we talked about that is an IGL in Counter-Strike. They're not known for their 
mechanical skill and their their actual like gameplay. They're known for knowing the maps inside and out and having these different game plans where they can make adjustments on the fly and stuff like that. So that is where I feel like the the mental aspect of esports is like almost paramount in regards to like a, a physical skill, like you said. Yeah, yeah, well said. I agree. Um, so we talked about it a little bit yesterday in the first time meeting you actually, um, you know, with the coaching factor, like I feel like with that, it's going to start to help, help like regulate like actual leagues and like sort of solidify the legitimacy of, you know, esports in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, let me get your take on like that. Do you think coaching's the first aspect that needs to happen you know to create this sort of um industry standard or if it's something you know bigger more like administration wise yeah i think coaching is going to be important again a, a big thing is we're dealing with a lot of young people um and so guidance is is so important uh younger than i i mean a lot of these like professional like players are, are younger than any other sports uh will almost even allow um, so, so dealing with that uh, coaching is so important. Um, and another thing too, is this certification in general, if you look at any traditional sport, uh, for, for me personally, becoming a professional tennis coach, I had to get either USPTA or PTR certifi- certified. Uh, those are the two main certification bodies right now. Uh, but I, I wouldn't have been able to get a job without that. Um, and I really do think esports will follow suit, uh, and I'm hoping to lead the way in that regard um, because I think it's 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 important. It, it can show that you have the knowledge needed, um, and and again, like you said, I I, I do think coaching is is one of the leading factors in in legitimizing esports. Um, one of the big things too, I think, especially from a parental perspective, and this isn't talked about a lot, but scholarships. Um, one of the main reasons a lot of parents get their kids into sports, uh, of course, it's a great way to get out, get active, but a lot of times you hear it's because they want their kid to get a scholarship to college. Um, And so now that colleges are actually offering it, um, it's legitimizing it for parents as well as players. I mean, a lot of the players already know what's going on, but the parents don't see it as, as a viable you know, career path. But if colleges are starting to recognize it, if, oh, my kid can get into college and get a scholarship for doing this, then yeah, I'm going to support that. Um, I might pay for coaching lessons now, like, like a lot of the parents of my tennis students, you know, they're, they're paying good money for, for coaching lessons. And, and I see esports getting to that point eventually as well. Uh, it's starting to happen, but it's small. I guess one of the, the like the real world examples of like the the rise of coaching in esports is Call of Duty. Like before last year, you didn't really see as many coaches on teams as you did towards the end of the season. Especially like a lot of the coaches came on late in the year last year in like the Call of Duty World League, and like earlier and like the earlier titles you never saw a coach. It was just the players, and they're all like eighteen, nineteen year olds just doing whatever because. That's what they did. And, but now as like the Call of Duty League has become more structured and has actually become like a franchise league, you see that the, a lot of these teams are hiring coaches even before they hire players right. to play. 
So I, I feel like that was something that was interesting. And uh, I've been watching Call of Duty for as long as I've been playing Call of Duty. So like I, I've noticed the, the evolution of the, the idea of having a coach on a team and how important it is. Right. Yeah, the franchise model is an interesting one to get into. Um, I, I definitely, I think uh, Blizzard is doing an interesting job with it. Uh, I, I really hope they continue doing what they're doing. I think they've made some maybe questionable decisions recently, and the public opinion of them hasn't been great recently. Uh, but I still think it's really cool what they're doing with the franchise leagues and stuff. And I, I think it has a big impact in coaching, like you said, uh, for sure. Um, I, I don't want to segue off too far, but we were talking a little bit about you know the scholarship pa- factor and everything like that. Uh, breaking news, literally breaking news this past hour, the NCAA just officially announced that they're allowing athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness. That's for esports? For, or for in general, ah. just sports in general. So obviously... You know, with that factor, I, I know this is just coming into it right now without us even, you know, bringing it up beforehand or talking about it. That can almost help esports actually become an NCAA regulated thing because, you know, without the NCAA right now, you're actually able to give those scholarships like we were just talking about, um, actually giving money to kids um, for just whatever. And I don't know. Just seeing this right now, maybe it could be a possibility that this does become a regulated NCAA sport, which would be very interesting. That would ultimately mean like the, the death of NCAA football video games because there's no way that EA would pay all of those college <laughs> athletes to be a part of that game. Like when, like even when it was like NCAA, like college football was like a game, like uh, people played all of them were like named their number it was like number 10 was the quarterback like i remember uh, i forget what game it was but it was like when when vince young was still on texas and it was like number 10 was the quarterback's name and it was just like <laughs> so that is interesting but i don't know like for their name and image like what like i don't really know like how detailed that can get into yeah that that's something that we can talk about uh, on a different podcast but this is let's let's get yeah. back to yeah. that yeah, no that's that's, <laughs> that's so cool for me to know yeah too. i kind of want to go back to the franchised esports and and stuff like that uh, or is more importantly blizzard um because i don't know is, is the call of duty league under blizzard or is yep. it just activision uh well, well the, I know the same I know company, the same yeah, yeah so um yeah I'm, I'm not totally sure but i i know it's the same same management in in some regard yeah do you believe that the call of duty league would be as profitable as the overwatch league or do you think that like the the slow decline of call of duty over the years has yeah. will will have a negative impact on the franchise portion? yeah it's it's tough to say to be to be honest after the hype from the last game i thought that would be the one that could bring it back um since it didn't i'm very um hesitant um i know this this most recent game is is most similar to like modern warfare like like the the good cod you know um so i i would love to see it um kind of resurface i think it's an awesome game i think it has so much potential i i really am curious as to why it hasn't 
gotten as big as the other esports in in my it doesn't feel as big at least you know yeah i i think that it's just because like i feel like the the model of call of duty is just been so repetitive over the years it's the same game just kind of reskinned and just made by a different developer i mean it's the same I- idea of call of duty each and every year each iteration of the game is is the same at a general level and and along that regard like you got games like the show mlb the show or 2k they're all the same game, different players, or even like games like uh, CS:GO. It's the same game. It's just it's updated every every year, and it's one of those rare games that is um, it's the same game, but it's still so popular years and years and years later. And I, I think one of those games that is going to hurt badly in franchise is Overwatch when Overwatch Two comes out. Because what are they going to do? Because like Overwatch is one of those games that didn't need a sequel. It. it all it needed was, and what they had been doing is they've been updating the the characters you can play as and uh, adding maps in here and there. Like that's all you got to do, and just update the game a little bit here and there. I, like I know, Counter Strike, for example, gets facelifts facelifts every like five years or so, and it just they take maps out of the rotation and then they fix them up. Like for example, I think Cash is getting a new reskin and everything. Yeah, so. It's just like they, they remove the maps and they fix them up a little bit and make them more competitive and then they throw them back into the rotation. Right. Yeah, Counter-Strike is kind of an interesting case study there because they they, they haven't changed much. I mean, there's definitely been some change. They've been around as l- about as long as Call of Duty, uh, but they've seen so much more success. Um, so there's there's definitely probably more to, to, to like dissect there. Um, I personally am not super sure what it is um but call of duty definitely has had more success in in the long run especially now yeah i think that it's just like the international appeal of counter-strike that's true and like the the especially the european market Mm -hmm. for counter-strike is massive like up until recently uh, up until basically this summer uh eu counter-strike has dominated and then with the with the rise of Team Liquid and after and <laughs> you're a Team Liquid fan. <laughs> oh yeah. And then after Astralis kind of went away over the summer and they decided to not do as many tournaments. Right. Team Liquid and even most recently Evil Geniuses, formerly NRG, they they've come to the forefront and now they're two of the top three teams in the world. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting how that works. Even you could s- say with with the Overwatch, like you were saying, uh, League of Legends, good example, hasn't changed. Been around longer than Overwatch. Uh, they they w- probably have no plans to release a League of Legends two. That would be funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is the 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 Overwatch two is an interesting thing. I I feel like they're trying to go the Call of Duty route, where it's just releasing a new game all the time and i feel like they've already almost been proven wrong with that so i'm curious as to what they're doing with that i honestly think in that regard tim and i talked a little bit about it before like i think they're just honestly just trying to make money like they see people will go out and buy the same game over and over again every single year like it's for the most part like call of duty has solidified that like NBA, MLB, like we were talking about before, has solidified that fact. Like, you could almost put a little bit of touches on the same exact game or the same exact iPhone or Samsung or whatever, and people will go out and buy it because it's quote unquote new. 
it may just be a little bit different. It may just be a little bit updated. Like, you know, obviously the new gens, like jumping from you know PS3 to PS4, Xbox 360 to Xbox One, like people sort of had to do that to get that new gen feeling. But now it's sort of like, you know, it's the same thing. Like we don't want the same thing anymore. We want right. something new or just keep it the same. Like we don't even care. Yeah. Yeah. And like when you have something, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Call of Duty Online, like the Chinese version of Call of Duty. It's the same game. The only difference is that they have the the loot boxes and the the microtransactions, which is, I think, a big part of why some like either parents or, or other people are like a little against um, online gaming because of the microtransactions and it's it's considered gambling and you know um, underage people aren't allowed to gamble. Blah blah blah. That's a whole nother conversation. But but yeah, like. Um, most of these companies are after money and they're just making the game, recycling the game and, and just trying to get a quick buck without really. I feel like if like organizations that or developers that like develop these games were to actually create like a five-year plan, like even create like for the new modern warfare game, create like a five-year plan for the game. And you have like this idea of what you want to do. I mean, granted you're not going to make as much money because, and I think that's like the whole point. That's the whole point of having, all these new Maddens come out or have these new MLB The Shows come out is because people will pay to play the same game over just because, like, the, the main reason why I buy a Madden game or I buy a an MLB The Show when I had a PlayStation was I wanted to play with the updated rosters. And I feel like that is something that people value when they buy it, when they want to buy a new game. Yeah, and along that, that five-year plan, um, I don't know if you remember, on launch, Black Ops 4, they had that five-year plan. This is going to be a CSGO-type game. We're going to support this for years to come. And they stopped updating it two months before Modern Warfare came out. So, like, you have you have these major successes at launch and these, like, these almost empty promises that these developers come out with, and they realize they're not going to make enough money to support that idea, and, and they kind of just tank it. Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting topic to get into. But um, just, like, having the idea of, like maintaining a game like overwatch with overwatch has done a great idea has done a great service to that game by continually updating it at, at like the different seasons and stuff like that and i think a perfect example is rocket league rocket league has done the seasons thing and they keep the game fresh each and every season by now most recently introducing the rocket pass which was mm-hmm. i think a great addition to the game it keeps people playing it oh yeah yeah, they, they've done a great job. I think it's a great company. I visited the headquarters when I was in San Diego a couple of years ago. Cool place. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, one of the things I actually wanted to talk about was like um, psychology as a whole, not just like the, the idea of flow state, but like psychology in general for esports. And I guess like a perfect case study to that is um, Astralis in 2016 to 2017. And then they had that dominant run in 2018. But like before that, in those in 16 17 they could not win a major tournament and uh, they uh, and then i think they said that they hired a like a sports psychologist to come in and talk to them about like because basically like they were getting harassed about not being able they were so dominant with all these iterations of their roster and not being able to win a major and then they finally bring someone in to sit them down and talk about it and then they just go on this massive streak in 2018 yeah no they 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 definitely um, uh, the the trend is there for teams hiring sports psychologists. Um, you know they, they are performing. Uh, actually, the 
there's been some consideration within the field of sports psychology to actually change the name to performance psychology. Essentially, it, it is um, performing in any regard. Uh, it's it's the, the, the psychology behind um, that type of performance. So even like a lot of the stuff applies to like job interviews and um, giving a speech or, or anything like that. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think Astralis made the right call. It clearly worked for them. Um, Weldon, the that guy I referenced in League of Legends, uh, he coached three different teams, and each time he coached that team, they won um, LCS. <laughs> so <laughs> there's there's definitely a, a strong correlation between um, you know the, the the skilled coaches and success in that regard. It's always just knowing how to lead someone. Like that that's what I've always noticed is the best leaders always get the best out of everyone. Like that it's essential to everything, really. Um but yeah, like I, I definitely agree with you to changing that. Um I never thought about that aspect, changing the sports psychology to performance. Um, like that makes so much sense because you know, I've used stuff from baseball or anything that I've done, like mostly on the field, like that's really what I've taken to sort of shape myself into the person who I am today. Like any aspect, like the mentality that I had was so different than what I was off the field. And I was like, why, why don't I just do the same thing that I'm doing on the field? Like it makes so much sense. Like I do what I need to do on the field and it works well and now carry it over. Like it, does work for every aspect of your life really yeah i i think that's for me personally as a as a coach i think that's my goal as a coach i think that's the most important thing you can learn from sports is is just those skills that can extrapolate into into everyday life so i think you're totally right i mean that kind of stuff is like profound and so useful for for the rest of you know your life yeah like do you think like the idea of like a sports coach is almost like a life coach for yeah like like to a degree <laughs> yeah no that's a good way to put it I, I definitely think it is I mean ball is life right so uh, <laughs> if you can uh, if you can coach someone um, to play ball you can coach them how to how to live life that's yeah I think that that's important because I feel like growing up I always played baseball growing up I think I've been playing since I was like seven so like the um, the idea of like being in involved in like these different sports and you have all these different coaches that come through some good, some bad, but like they all teach you like a lesson each year you play. And I feel like that's something that I've been able to kind of build on in my life. Just taking these different lessons from these coaches that I've had mm -hmm. and applying them to my own life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's interesting about the way we can learn lessons in sport too, is actually there's, there's been a lot. I, I was, I just had a really cool talk with, um, a personal trainer um, who actually works with esports teams, uh, actually just on Friday, um, he's in Florida, but uh, he did a thesis on um, the impact of aerobic activity and the acquisition of fine motor skills. And this has been done before, but essentially, you know, um, exercising or, or elevating your heart rate prior to learning something. Um, helps you retain that information better. So uh, I really think learning almost these life lessons, we could get it away from fine motor skills and just into skills in general. And this is maybe taking a bit of a, um, 
you know, I might be extrapolating too much, but essentially I, I, I believe that uh, elevating your heart rate in a sporting environment and then learning a life lesson from a coach like that or something um, really drives it home more so than than just learning it maybe in a classroom or something like that. Um, and there's there's a bit of science to back that as well. Yeah, it's super super interesting. <laughs> like we we can honestly could talk with you all day about all this stuff because it's it's awesome, especially your application of everything that you do is even from like coaching tennis to now applying that to esports and how like what people don't realize is like how easy it is to uh, adapt a certain coaching style to fit esports and I feel like that just goes to show that esports is not that far away from general sports like uh, we're all in agreement here that esports is a sport right. we've we've debated that time and time again with our friends family and everything like that that being able to apply the even the simplest thing as just the way you go about life versus sports like traditional sports and esports is is not that dissimilar. I agree. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a little bit on your YouTube channel. Sure. What what are I know you said that you only have three videos up, um, but what are some of the upcoming things that you want to talk about? Um. Get my laptop. Yeah, go right ahead. Go right ahead. <laughs> Give me a sec. I have probably like 70 topics. <laughs> I'm not going to go over That all. is awesome. <laughs> hey, that's what you got to do, man. That's yeah, what you got to... One thing I want to talk about are these lights <laughs> in this room. <laughs> yeah, we've, been, we've been doing this podcast now for what? The last 45 minutes, and the yep. lights have been going in and out. I dark, think, light, I red, I think they're on blue. music mode, and I think the tablet's playing music or something. Yeah, oh. I- if anyone doesn't know already we are actually in the esports room at nichols college and it looks absolutely amazing and the lights for some reason today have just been going off on us <laughs> yeah it like switches between really dark and then it just goes a little bit lighter 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 and then it switches red to purple to yellow and then to turned off right now they're right now they're changing to blue yep it, it's just it's crazy so <laughs> Back to the actual topic <laughs> at hand. Uh, so um, I'm I'm just going to rattle a few of these off. If you want me to get into, right into depth on any of them, feel free, because um, most of these are just ideas. Um, some of the ones that are actually already almost completely written up are um, how to improve by not caring about your rank. Um, and I really want to go into depth on how to w- what you should actually be focusing on when you're playing, um, how, to, how to stop... W- dealing uh how to deal with ranked anxiety which is uh, i think something that a lot of esports players deal with um another one is how to um where is that how to improve faster by shortening your practice duration um the idea is um really narrowing down your practice into super super specific like focus areas so that you you actually almost train your brain to learn more efficiently um if you have if you really set yourself to only practicing rocket league for 25 minutes or something like that for a week um you your brain is like okay i only have 25 minutes to do this i need to absorb as much as i can in this small amount of time. And then when you go back to a, a full practice session, um, your, your brain has kind of um, 
adapted this like hyper focus and hyper vigilant like learning uh, process, and so you actually improve faster from that. Um, so <laughs> that's that a cool one. Super that's interesting. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, how to set goals, how to deal with emotions, how to deal with motivation and practicing um, tilt, dealing with tilt and salt. Um, the idea of skill versus rank, um, how to read players, how to warm up properly, talent versus skill, which we went into already, um, how to journal. That's a big one. What is that? Um, <laughs> like, um, uh, you'll see a lot of uh, high level athletes do this, but, but just kind of, um, documenting and reflecting on their play and practice um, topics and, and how they've done and what they need to work on. Um, uh, the idea of reflection is, is nothing new, but it's not often done in, in eSports. So, um, yeah, I, I could get into so many more of those. but I think one of the interesting ones was the first one that you mentioned, uh, in, like rank anxiety. And it's almost like in Call of Duty, like, when the when the game comes out you want to start out hot you want to have a high kd and like that is something that everybody i feel is affected by that plays call of duty like for example like me i like to keep my kd at a certain level like i know my skill in call of duty and i know that i'm currently better than what i am in modern warfare i will say <laughs> that like when you know that you're essentially getting wrecked in a game and you know that you're like not having fun and i feel like that's just because you know what your kd can be and you know that that's not at like the a socially acceptable level if that makes sense or or when you see somebody when you're playing somebody for instance that's at a higher rank or at your rank and you you feel like they should not be there but they're still kicking your ass mm. and i don't know why i believe kicking instead <laughs> of um anyways <laughs> Um, uh, and I feel like, I don't know, I've, I've definitely been there in like Rocket League, like at champ one playing grand champs and, and absolutely like pooping on them and they should be knowing that they should not be grand champs and then, and then just absolutely crap in the bed against diamonds or something. Well, that is just the art of getting carried in a game. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, so. So that kind of gets into one of the videos that I'm actually done um, typing pretty much. I don't know if I can find it. But um, it's, it's skill versus rank and, and how, th- how those two things actually, uh, what matters and what doesn't. Um, I find a lot, and me personally, um, I had trouble dealing with the idea of um, playing on a, on a good note or a- ending on a good note or ending on a bad note. Um, if I if I wanted to practice for a certain amount of time, but I just won a bunch of games, I was like, ah, I, d- I don't really want to ruin my rank by playing more in case I lose. Um, so I would just kind of stop there. Um, the other one is playing with people who are worse than you because um, you're afraid that's going to ruin your rank. Um, all that stuff can kind of be boiled down to the idea that um, your your skill is a um, spectrum, and that's kind of what I go into into this um, video on. Uh, your your skill is a spectrum. You are not this good. You are somewhere in between, like your best and your worst, and it's usually somewhere in the middle. But um, you know, thinking that oh, I'm this good um, can be a bit detrimental. Um, I can't find the note, so. 
I am not going to get too into depth on this, but essentially, uh, yeah, the, the idea is um, realizing that your, your rank isn't a perfect indicator of, of what your skill is. Um, and s what you can do um, in the short term, when you play, you may win or you may lose, and your rank will either go up or it will go down. But your skill, essentially, it will almost always be improving. Um, the more you play, the more your skill improves. Your rank doesn't always immediately follow suit, but it will eventually. Uh, if your skill gets high enough, your, your rank starts to um, come with it, if that makes sense. Um, so that's the best way I've, I've talked to myself and, and other players about playing ranked. It's that it, no matter what you're doing, if you're playing, um, then your skill will be improving. So that's what you're concerned about, not your rank. Yeah, that, awesome. that definitely makes sense. Wow. Um, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we, you know, we learned a lot. Um, we were really excited to have you on and, um, you know, just wrapping it up, do shout whatever you want out. Um, you know, this, the stage is yours to finish up the show basically. Sure. Um, Flow State Gaming, uh, the YouTube channel. Actually, all of the, the social medias are slash Team Flow State, F-L-O-W-S-T-A-T-E. So you can find us on YouTube, Instagram, uh, and Twitter. The website is flowstategaming.com. That has everything. Um, we help put together teams for players. We do coaching. Um, and, of course, the, the YouTube's the big one. Check out the YouTube because that really applies to not just Rocket League. The videos are from a Rocket League perspective, but they apply to other games, other sports, and life in general. Um, so, yeah, if you want to check out the YouTube, I would say that's the first wor first place to go is youtube.com slash teamflowstate. We'll definitely be watching. Definitely. <laughs> we can't wait for the videos to come out. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Nick. And thank you for thank you for coming on. And you're more than welcome to come on anytime. Uh, Just hit us up to. and you can come on and talk about whatever because we could talk to you for days. Sure, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for another edition of the Nichols College Esports Podcast from Tim, Steve, and Brendan. We'll see you next week. <laughs>